everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Choose Awareness Podcast. And this one is a special one, to me at least. It's a conversation I had not too long ago with my dad, Shoki Tibet. A few stories involving him had been on my mind a lot lately. They're stories I've heard bits and pieces of over the years, stories I'm vaguely familiar with, but ones I've never actually asked him about before. And one day I realized that there's so much more about him beyond just these stories and his journey that I don't know and I won't ever know unless I actually ask him. So that's what I decided to do. I wanted to ask him, like I said, not just about these specific stories, but about his personal story in general. Because truthfully, I knew he immigrated from Algeria on his own without any family, but I've never actually asked him to describe what that was like for him. And I know he's faced racism firsthand here in America, and it's often involved even some surprising culprits, but I've never asked him to share those stories or what they felt like. You'll get to hear his thoughts on those things and so much more because not only was he willing to talk with me, but he was also willing to record it so it could be shared with the world. Consider this one Algerian's perspective. I hope you enjoy listening to it, and maybe it'll inspire you to consider any stories or questions you might want to ask your own parents or family about. All right, let's get to it. (laughs) So here we go. First, Dad, thank you for talking to me, Um, especially about these things. I know some of them are sensitive or personal things. Some of them are things I've heard bits and pieces about maybe over the years, but they're not necessarily things that I've ever asked you directly. But they have been on my mind for a little while now. I don't know if it's because of the things I've been reading about or writing about or talking about. And so I've come to this idea that if I don't ever ask you about them, I'll never know them, which means in some ways there's things about you and your story that I won't ever know. And so I wanted to ask you, I wanted to talk to you about some of these things. And I know we could have had this conversation without recording it or sharing it with the world. But honestly, I think, or at least I hope that some people will hear the things that you have to say, and maybe it will make them reconsider their thoughts on things like immigration or racism or who knows what. So that's kind of why I wanted to talk to you and record it like this. I hope it's you sharing your personal experiences and your stories, the things that you felt and thought and have gone through, because that's what I'm at least hoping to hear. And I think that's what people would appreciate to hear. Does that sound good? That sounds good. So let's just start then with you introducing yourself. So I'd say maybe give a background of you or your life leading up to you coming to America. So everything before you getting here, your family life, your environment, whatever you want to share. Okay, thank you for uh, inviting me for this uh, great opportunity. And uh, being uh, a teacher, my father was a teacher, my grandpa was a teacher. Sometimes I have tendency while I'm explaining things, it's like I am teaching. So I do apologize if that sounds like that. Speaking of that, I am very proud of my country. So I would like to uh, give like a small synopsis about Algeria. Then I move on from Algeria to my family then from my family to maybe education and how I came here. So briefly about Algeria, and the reason I'm saying this, because many times it's funny when I ask my students or people how many countries there are in the world, and some people say 2,000, some people say four. And I ask them, Africa, they think Africa is a country. So we're just trying to clarify these things here. I'm from 
originally Algeria. Algeria is in North Africa. It is the largest country in Africa. Africa is 50 countries, it's many. And Algeria is also the 10th largest in the world. Algeria is old as far as the history goes back to probably 10,000 years BC. That's a lot. It went through probably 15 to 20 civilizations. And the last one was the French colony. And that started in uh, 1830. And we got our independence in 1962. That's 132 years of brutal colonization that most people say, as far as the German, the Jews, we went through our own share, 132 years. As a matter of fact, France colonized probably half of uh, Africa, if not a little bit less than that, but they stayed the longest in Algeria because it's, it's a strategic place and the minerals. It's North Africa, it's only one hour flight from France. It's not far. And it's very rich in uh, its mineral. Although oil and gas are the main source of revenue, but it also has a large foreign exchange reserves money. Algeria, for example, is ranked number three in the world production in uh, shale gas, coal, iron, copper. It's number seven in the world in natural gas, mercury, zinc, platinum. And then to brag a little bit about Algeria also, it's number one among 50 countries in Africa in the production of gold, mercury, uranium, coal. So Algeria is a rich country. Uh, Algeria also, because I'm talking with my son here and he loves soccer, Algeria is awesome in soccer. As a matter of fact, we, uh, we were a champion of Africa Cup twice. And then once, third time was the finalist in the 80s. And we were also, we went to the uh, fourth, uh, what is that, the fourth final in the world. In 82, 86, 2010, 2014. So we're strong. Having that, said that about Algeria, we move on to, uh, to my family. Uh, my family. So before, hold on, before your family. Yes. It's very clear you have a lot of pride in Algeria. That's what, yes, you're, sir. That's what you're saying right there. Of course. You, and you want the world to see that Algeria is a great place. You are proud of it. Definitely, definitely, most definitely, yes. And then uh, moving down to my family, when I'm going to say this, people are going to say, wow, are you sh- serious? My family, from let's say from my dad's side, is over 1,000 members. And I'm holding in my hand, this is the uh, lab chronologique, means the family tree that dates back from 1814. 1814, that's my grandfather, his grandfather. From my dad level, I have 34 people in that, ra- in the, in that rank. And every one of them... What do you mean ha- in, that, in that rank? What do you mean? What I mean in that level. Like a I, brother or sister or cousin to your dad, you mean... Yes, yes, exactly, at that level. Brother, sister, cousin, in that level, in that generation. In here, it shows 34. So my dad, by himself, if you count downward, he has close to 40 people under him. So you just multiply that, that's over a thousand, that's from my dad's side. Do I see all of them when I go home? Of course not, I can't, but I see most of them and we are all tied together and we uh, are in Zoom, text, almost weekly basis. How many do you know by face or name? You're saying you're that close. You know them all. Yes, I know hundreds. I know hundreds that I stay in touch with. And sometimes when I go, they organize a party where they have like 50 or some big food and stuff just to to see me because we are very close uh, family. Uh, Going down to my grandfather, we started my grandfather. 
my grandfather was a scholar. He was also a businessman. He had the largest library in the region and the, his library has from the uh, culture to the religion to the education as far as books to discussion. He also had a big business, uh, date trees. He had over 3,000 date trees. While Algeria was in the French colony, he was like a counselor. So when there is a problem between the community, people or so, they can see my grandfather. My grandfather gave also a lot of importance to education that he sent my dad overseas to pursue education. So my dad went to Tunisia, Cairo, went to, he went to Europe during the war. My grandpa died in 1952 before I was born. That's from my dad's side and my mom's side also. Grandpa died, but I, I lived with my grandmothers from both sides. Also, the other thing important about my grandpa, he started the first women's school in South Algeria in 1945. And he was assisted by my aunt, by his daughter. Remember uh, where it said, was? Sir? You remember what? where it was? Yeah, yeah. It was in Mghayar. Mghayar is a city like uh, around 80 miles south from Biskra. Biskra is where I was raised, but I was born in Mghayar between Biskra and Togurt. But when you say South Algeria, that people like me would say that's the north coast, but you're saying it's south because it's close to the desert, right? The desert. You are very good, yes. We can take one step back saying Algeria is around 42 million people and 90% uh, of them, they live in the northern part close to the Mediterranean Sea. And the rest, let's say around 80% of Algeria is desert. So when I say south, you are very correct. It's a south relative to the northern part, that small 20%, or the beginning of the desert, if you say so. In, uh, speaking of Biskra, where I was raised, Biskra has the largest airport as far as superficie, as far as the surface in Algeria. It was used by the Americans during World War II when they put uh, bombard, uh, bombers up and down to fight against Hitler. And they loved Algeria to the point where they brought the idea and they created the city, two cities in California. One is called Biskra Palms and the other one called Indio. And they have dates, it's a beautiful dates. And if you go there, you're going to see Biskra Street, Deglet North Street. Speaking of Algeria, we are almost finished with it, is that the, uh, Algeria was colonized by uh, France from 1830, and it went through so many revolutions, up and down, up and down. The first one was in, in 1860, and it was led by Amir Abdelkader. Of course, he was down by uh, in seven years later, and he was exiled in Lebanon. And the good thing why I'm talking about him is this. When he was in Lebanon, there was huge hostages, American hostages, Christians. And those Christians, they were going to be killed. So Amir Kader, he invited them in his house. He hid them there. He created peace with the uh, government, and he saved those American hostages. He saved them. Ibrahim Lincoln, he really like that idea, and they named a city after Amir Kader is in Iowa. Until today, they have a museum there after Amir Kader, because he saved those Christians, because even though he was Muslim, he, he, uh, he saved them. That's Amir Kader, so for people to check that out if they want. I'm going down back to the, uh, the last revolution. The last revolution of France started in 54. I was born in 1954. When the revolution started, 
call them the militia if you want. It's very organized nationwide. They started it in 45, but really it started really uh, like a war in 54. So Mike, like my dad, had to flee the French colony because he was educated, he was an officer, and he was the head of a region of that for that militia. So he had to flee home and he would come and uh, visit like once a year or six months, wherever in a hiding. So when you say flee home, that means he left to go somewhere else to be safe. Yeah, not just to be safe, to be a responsible part of the responsibility officer to fight against the French mm. colony. Eventually, he ended up being in Tunisia and he was injured during the war. So they sent him to Europe because he was injured in his back. What year was that? How old were you? I don't know. It was maybe three or four years. I don't remember that, but it's the the uh, when he tells me in the story. Oh yeah, so, I was uh, just wondering. You were already uh, born. You were yeah, alive. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was born. Yeah, because he left around. Uh, I was born fifty four. He left around fifty five, fifty six. This happened. Maybe this happened around fifty six, fifty seven, and he was in Tunisia. That's uh, headquarters of the uh, I call it militia, Algerian Liberation Army. Since he was an officer, he was injured. They sent him to uh, Europe because he was really severely uh, injured. He went to Yugoslavia. Do you remember Shukos- what happened? How he got injured? He got bullet. The uh, you know the war. He got injured. Yeah. So uh, he got like uh, paralyzed or some in the in the back. So they have to send him overseas from Tunisia, Algeria, then back to Tunisia in the headquarters, exile headquarters of the American Liberation. I mean, uh, Algerian Liberation Army, ALA. And then from Tunisia, they sent him to Yugoslavia and Europe. So he stayed there a couple of years, directing and being uh, cured, I guess. And that's where he learned to speak Czechoslovakian, and Yugoslavian, and uh, of course he speaks Arabic and French. When he came back, he was the head of the uh, South, near Biskra, Mgayer, all that region, he was the head of that. Uh, 62, so yes. That's when he came back in 62. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 62, Kennedy, President Kennedy, he forced Charles de Gaulle to give independence to Algeria. Uh, the uh, president in exile back then, Bembella, came here and uh, he, was, uh, he got long good with Kennedys. So the whole world, they were with the, uh, the Algerian uh, cause. And finally, French de Gaulle, the president, he gave up because he was being hurt tremendously. Bombs everywhere in France and Algeria. They had to give up. So after that, in 62, our independence. Let's back up there. So do you remember when your dad came home, though? What year he came 62. home? 62. And you were born in 54. So I don't, yes. I don't want to skip over this. Yeah. I love the history. I hope people yeah. are enjoying this. I know, I know. Yeah. This, this is real life. Sometimes when, when we think of American history, we think of stuff 100 years ago. You're talking about you were alive. This was happening. This is oh, real yes. life. So of course. I don't, want to, I don't want to skip past this then. That means you, for the first almost eight years, how often was it possible for him to come home or for you even to see him? Well, in reality, I may have remembered maybe once to see him in that at that age but i do remember horror stories like in the middle of the night the french colony would come in with the bayonet and uh, hit the uh, mattresses to see if he's hidden there and my my uh, uncle his brother he suffered tremendously 
as far as uh, torture. They sometimes they come totally naked. They will put him in a cold water. Uh, in the in the morning, they let the dogs after him. Sometimes he's in prison. We don't know if he's coming or coming not coming back. So they take their nails off with the pliers. They take uh, meat out the skin. It is crazy what they did, and they torture him because they say, "Where is your brother?" Then and and they did that to everyone. So, and you were a child. What what do you think when you see this? Yes, it was horrible because uh, my uncles from my mom's side, I was French as far as nationality, all of us, we were then, it's just uh, by uh, default. But my uncles, one of them, he engaged in the French army, but one of them was forced, so you had to do the military. So he took us to his house. I used to remember going to the French bases, dogs and stuff like that. It's uh, uh, Some of it's very, very, very uh, vivid, bad memories. Some of it is just part of life. Um, that's... Uh, in 62, when independence, so people came down from the mountains or from wherever they, they were hiding the uh, overseas. So my dad, they gave him the choice to stay in the military, because he was an officer, or get out the military education. So he chose to do the education, but he stayed in the politics. So from there, we went to Mgayer, we went to another village called Ulejilel. He taught there for one year. In 64, we moved to Biska, and that's where I was raised. You haven't mentioned any siblings. Uh, siblings. Families are big there. Uh, for example, my mom had 11 kids. That's a lot. Eight of them survived. The other one died, whether sick or malnutrition or whatever, beside the point. So, again, we moved down to uh, Biska, and that's where I started uh, my third year in elementary, I think I was third or fourth, something like that. My father was, uh, talk about my father. I learned a lot from him. I loved my father tremendously. Uh, he, uh, he was too harsh. He was too hard on me. Uh, as far you as spanking. the oldest, right? No, no. Yeah, I was the oldest uh, son. Mm. I was one son after seven girls. And then, so when uh, they had me at the seventh one, they did the big feast. Finally, she gave him a boy, whatever. Okay, of course, we have four more, uh, three more uh, boys after that. Anyway, my father took me everywhere, vacation. He loves vacation. He loves to be open-minded. He loves uh, things like that. So every, every summer, he will rent a big house, either by the sea or in the mountain. And then during the, uh, during the summer for the education, we, we usually have two, two and a half months off. We have vacation there. So I always remember that. During spring break and other things, he would take me to Oran, thousands of miles with him to travel. So I enjoyed that a lot. The uh, bad part about my dad, I was almost gonna say, may he rest in peace. Now my dad is still alive, he's 100 years old. And he's still right and he's still very, very uh, aware where his dad's. It's amazing. Um, and no medication as a matter of fact right now. So my dad used to be hard, hard, hard on me. His dad was hard on him, I guess. Uh, he did not, uh, he did not uh, accept a B in my report card. If I have a B, I have a huge spanking. But how many Bs did you get? Huh? How many Bs um, did you get? Oh my God! Uh, my mom never beat me. Oh yeah, yeah, my mom beat me once. No, 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 no. How many Bs did you get? Not how many Bs. Oh, Bs. <laughs> 
you said if you got a B, it was bad timing, but you went straight to the beatings in your mind. Ah, Bs. I don't remember. Maybe once, twice. I don't remember because I wasn't accepted. Period. As far as delinquency, I was crazy. Having fun with my friends. I was a crazy guy. I mean, I still have hundreds of friends. They talk to me, text, whatever. But when it comes to work, schoolwork, I had to because I had no choice. But because of that, I graduated in the top 5% in the nation, and I was among 2,500 people to take four exams, one after the other, elimination. And finally, they, out of those 2,500, they got 180 uh, of them with baccalaureate technique, mathematics. Baccalaureate is a diploma, not like here, it's a, it's a diploma, it's international IB diploma. So 2,500 elimination, finally 180, and that's how he came to the USA. So we talked about my dad. My dad is also, a, he loves to write. He wrote 22 books. He has a huge library because my grandpa has the largest library. So when he died, they divide that his library by four people, three my uncles and my, my aunt. So my dad inherited all the books and plus his. Okay, the, uh, before I came here, I was uh, lucky or say, uh, what is luck? Luck is when preparation and opportunity meet. So basically, I had four scholarships at my hand after I graduate. And we're saying when you're 18, 16, Yes, 18. when I was 18, I graduated in Baccalaureate Technique Mathematics, 18, 19. Baccalaureate Technique Mathematics is, is so uh, thought of, I was eligible to teach math in the middle school. So I taught math in middle school over there for one year. And when I was teaching, some of those kids were 16, 15 years old, almost like my age. While I was teaching, I was applying for scholarships when I checked the world, just like my uncle in France, my dad traveled, I wanna do that. So finally, my mom didn't want me to go. Now, this is uh, tough for me to explain to people here, but this is part of us part of my upgrading. Parents are very important. So when you have the uh, blessing from the parent, you succeed in life. Whether it's psychologically speaking, whatever, it's part of my culture. So my mom never wanna open the door for me to leave. But when she saw me unhappy, she finally she said, now I give you my blessing. You are going to find what you want, whether I like it or not, that's for your happiness. And shortly after that, I did not get one or two, I got four scholarships. One of them, uh, remember, to Russia, that's to study uh, to uh, military. One of them in Italy, to be a captain in merchant marine, one in England to be pilot, and one to engineer to come to USA. What were you unhappy about? In Algeria, I was probably unhappy because the, uh, sometimes I was peculiar, unique in my thinking. Uh, some people are, uh, whether hypocrisy, whether uh, they are not straightforward, or whether they, uh, uh, even we can discuss it later when we talk about Christianity or Islam, and they think uh, God, 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 this, God, that, yet they do things against God directly in the front of you. These are just little things. And then of course, uh, gangs, I saw uh, people uh, fighting against other people, trying to defend them, and I got in trouble, whatever that's, uh, I just wanna get out of that uh, environment. So going back to the scholarships, 
I said to myself, all these scholarships, I want to go to the USA because that's the furthest one to discover this USA they talk about so I can come back. When I come back after four or five years, then I can go to Europe or other places that are close by. And that's how I end up in USA. And here is 44, ladies, 44 years later, I'm talking with you on the phone. What did Scott. people say about USA then? So now we're in what? Yeah, uh, I, I arrived here January 2nd, 1976. So what were people saying about the U.S. in the early 70s? USA was known, or people think of it as a, an imperial country, racist, horrible, horrible, horrible against, uh, against blacks. They didn't say against foreigners until I came here. Then they showed me different. But uh, we were reading about it. We see it in the TV. So we see it in TV. We see it in the paper. But racism. As a matter of fact, my friends were telling me, be careful, da, 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 whatever, because we look different. And then take one step back, Jeff, just to say back to as far as Algeria, and we talked about Algeria went through like 15 to 20 different civilizations, from the Berbers to the Phoenicians to Byzantines to the Arabs to the French. So it's a mix, a big part of a mix. So everybody looks different. Therefore, imagine United States, three, 400 years old. And Algeria is a thousand, 10,000. That's 30 times more. So if we move forward, just 500 years from now, America is going to look totally different. It's going to be d different. It's going to be different. Let's come back to the scholarship. So I came here to scholarships, all right? You heard things about America. You, you had ideas of what it was like, but you chose to come here out of those four scholarship offers. Yes, uh, uh, to come here because we hear that America, of course, the plus side is uh, uh, the opportunity and uh, it's the best in the world and this and that. So I did not pay attention to outside the racist part of it because I did not know what it was. As a matter of fact, if you take the, uh, our culture, if you say you're black or white, they will laugh at you. So when I try to explain it to people here, they say, well, you think I'm a fool here? You try to tell me these things? No, you're not a fool. You're just born in different culture, different environment, and I'm telling you the truth about my environment. You like it? Fine. You don't like it? Fine. You believe it? Fine. You don't believe it? It's fine. I'm telling you what's going on. Do you have racism there in Algeria? No, we have uh, regionalism. South against West, West against North, whatever. That's friends did that to uh, demobilize Algerians from each other, they did that. But as far as uh, uh, white and blacks and stuff like that, the Quran or the belief does not allow you to even think of that until I came here, then I saw it, then I suffered through it, which is crazy. I will say that was a lot of history, whether it's your familial history or the history of Algeria, but it's important because that's... Yeah where you, like you said, that was your upbringing, that's where you're from, that shapes your lens, the way you view the world. And now here we are, it's 1976. So that makes you 22 then, and you're brand new, or almost 22, early 20s, coming to a new country. You don't speak any English, right? No. You're going to Georgia Tech, you're trying to be an engineer. Let's just talk about this college life, the language barrier. Immediately, like you said, you meet racism or xenophobia i mean what is that like yeah before uh, before we go there i forgot one uh, important thing when you say about siblings and we can mix it with the religion uh, my sisters went to catholic nun school so at home you have the bible you have the quran my dad is open mind 
doesn't mean that you're Christian, you are not going to go to hell or to wherever or Muslim. It's what you're doing and what you're feeling inside and how you're treating someone next to you. So my sisters went to Catholic school. They had to dress like Catholics sometimes and they came home. So when I came here, let's come back and take a jump to come here after scholarship. It was wild. Um, not speaking the language, I will understand yes, no, thank you, things like that. When somebody starts speaking that, I, I'm lost. Because my uh, background was very strong in math, they made us start taking calculus at Georgia Tech, even a language barrier. So when they give us a problem, if it's number problems, I'm acing it. If it's word problem, I'm having difficulty. At the same time, in the morning, I will go to Georgia State University to learn language as an EOSL student, secondary language student. So we did that from January until September at Georgia State. We graduated from uh, the USL program, and then we kept going at uh, Georgia Tech. Out of 180 who got the scholarship, how many of them came to Georgia Tech with you? From those 180 divided by uh, six, it's around 30, they say 25 to 30. But when we came here, we found other Algerians doing PhD in nuclear or masters in other things. I just wondered when you said we went to the ESOL classes, it was 20 of you. You didn't yes. know them. They just no. took the test like you. You're exactly. all going to a new place together. Exactly. We just learned to know each other here. And we came from different uh, parts of uh, uh, the Algerian country. And Algeria is big. It's like a third of the United States. Algeria is like four times state of Texas. Give you an idea how big people are coming from different uh, there. So let's say, okay, you didn't know any of the language. You took the ESOL classes for almost nine months, you said. What would you say your proficiency was after just nine months? I was able to learn more than most of my friends. Let me tell you why. Not because I was smarter. It's because uh, I did not care if people laugh at me or with me. So when people are laughing at me, I just took it like a laughing with me. And that's how that racism did not get to me until it took me years to understand those people that were serious, because I thought they were kidding. Now, the aptitude about speaking, I learned most of my English were discotheques, go dance and talk to the girls. That's how I learned most of it. The other one, the grammar, now the structure, the grammar, of course, I learned it in the lab at Georgia State. But as far as communication, and my first goal was what? To get submerged in the American society so I can learn communication. I learn where they come from, what they're talking about. That was really one of my goals beside my grades. Of course, I told Algeria Tech, if you don't maintain your grades, not only Tech kick you out, Algeria will take you back. And they took some people back because they could not make it, like three or four of my friends. They couldn't make it. So what was one of your greatest memories then during college? Because all that sounds pretty tough and we'll, we'll come back to some of those things but what was one of your favorite things or your greatest memories our memories always always having fun the youth sports i did not play much sport, uh, soccer back home i used to play handball but my friends i guess thought of me whatever so they elected me i was the uh, soccer coach of georgia tech in 1978 the intramural soccer coach back then they did not have uh, the college soccer. So that was the team that represented Tech, and I took them to the Tampa 
to the Southeast Regional Championship, Collegiate Championship. We went to the finals, but we lost 2-1 because we were uh, wearing red and white. And, uh, and we did not know. We were dummies, I guess. We called ourselves Red Stars. Mm-hmm. And the Red Stars, really the size from the Algerian flag. It was red. So we put red star in our shirts and they thought we were communists. So we lost that finance, but it's okay. We had we had a lot of fun. So a lot of fun is partying <laughs> and partying <laughs> and partying and having fun. That's really uh, the uh, some of the good memories. What about some of the bad ones or the worst ones? I know that's a, that's a hard question to ask. But... Uh, the worst ones. The worst ones... Many of my friends were more affected than me. Of course, I was affected internally, and it took me years. Is the uh, people who look down to you because you have that weird accent, because you look different. You're not from here. Regardless how smart you are, you're still not American, so you're not going to be at the same level as me. And many of my friends, they were uh, intimidated by that. They have developed, what do you call that, uh, complex of inferiority, superiority complex is a mix. For me, it did not affect me as, as much because I didn't want to let it bother me or the way I was brought up, I don't know. So some of it is the display. If I had an Afro or I had a bad accent, the accent that did not fit them and uh, the topics. What do you mean? For the culture, the topics, the baseball. I did not know what baseball is. Mm. So friends of ours, we used to get drunk and take uh, take uh, rocks and start hitting baseball with the with thing we think we're playing baseball, and we're just laughing, cracking up, and people think we're, they think we're making fun of them. So and mm. we were just having fun because we did not know what baseball is. Uh, speaking about uh, car races, we did not have car races back home. We had horse race. So things, the conversation when you talk with someone in the conversation. That took me years. So I am in a group of Americans. If they start talking because of the culture, the history, there is a uh, communication link there. And we felt like we were out. So that was the toughest, probably one of the toughest things. You were able to handle it a little bit better than your friends. Were there any like, I don't know, confrontations or incidents? Or was it a lot of just oh, yeah. sarcastic, was it more sarcastic remarks that you didn't understand and they got mad about? Or no, there were, there were confrontations or there were incidents or there were encounters. We were in a picnic in uh, Merriera and uh, your mom was with me and then I was with all the group. And some of the groups came way up there, they were drinking. They started talking about, get out this country, nigger, whatever they started. So we had to leave the park. Of course, we were afraid, we were scared. So things do happen, and uh, yes, yes, they happen. So when you talk about Marietta, uh, you know that's that's my stomping ground. That's the <laughs> that's my mom and her family. That's where most people are raised. And I've heard this story. That's this is one of those where I've heard bits and pieces. I'm just I don't know. I'm curious to hear what you would say. I've heard this idea that when she brought you home to meet her parents, my grandparents, for the first time, she took you to the house. They wouldn't let you in the house. They made you wait outside is that right yes and that's not the only uh, uh time uh one time another one uh, funny about it because uh, again i was thinking like naive or didn't bother me whatever she took me down to uh, her mom's sister her uh, husband used to have a chicken house and he used to sell chicken 
So they had a wedding of her cousin there. So imagine big room for the wedding. People are dressed up nice and stuff. And here I am with this psychedelic shirt, open up with a necklace inside and big afro be, uh, standing behind your mom sitting at the table to uh, when people came in and guests. So they were talking to her and they would talk to me. They said, what the heck is this guy from? But I had no idea what's going on. Another one was the, uh, uh, your grandpa, may he rest in peace. Your mom used to live with me in the uh, dormitory. And he called me or tell me, if you do not send my daughters back home, I'm gonna send the boys to kick you out of this country to go back to wherever you come from. From there, to him and I, we became good friends. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to... That was definitely one of my next questions because I don't want to paint the picture that there wasn't um, reconciliation because even 25 years, 25 years, let's say, after you were separated from my mom when my grandmother passed away, you were at her funeral. Um, you still sent her cards over the years. Um, yeah. So it's definitely not that there was any animosity or we couldn't repair it. I'm just curious that first time when you got those calls, we're going to kick you out of this country or you can't come in my house. What did you think? How did that feel? Uh, I was so scared. So I had to force your mom to go home. She loved me and she didn't want to go. Things like that happened. Uh, As far as your grandma, uh, you always have to forgive. I always, always tell people, forgive, 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 so you can live better in peace. It's very important. Your grandma, when uh, your grandpa died, and finally she ended up in uh, old folks' home, I used to go visit her in the old folks' home. And of course, cards every year and so on. So I was close to her from the humanistic point of view that she was a human, she had heart, just like grandpa, same thing. He was a nice person, he's a human. He just thought differently and he found out that I was okay. So I'm just hoping if I could really change some people around here, their mind to say, hey, we are all human beings, we are all gonna die. And when we die, we take nothing with us. The only thing we leave behind is a smile and how we took care of each other. So why don't we get along? please. If I could just, if I'm able to do that, it would be awesome. But I know I cannot control everybody to do that. So I think I stepped away from your question, but that's uh, uh, basic is forgiveness. Forgive and move on. Forgive, move on. So you've kind of mentioned this idea, even when you were in school or with your friends, that people would call you foreigners. What do you feel when you hear this word immigrant or foreigner? Um, What do you think when people say, I want people to go back where they came from? Well, uh, I changed through the years. Around 10 years ago or so, used to get under my skin so bad. So when people tell me that, I start telling the story, and it sounds like I'm bragging to them, but I didn't care. As far as my education, my grandpa, to my dad, to me, to how many languages I speak, and how many uh, degrees I have, and then at the end I tell them, what do you have? Whether I had a complex, but I would try to tell people, it's not really of how much you know, it's what you're doing with what you know. So when you tell the immigrant, for example, right now, the issue that we're going through is crazy. But there are some people 
they are forced to think that way. There are some people who choose to be like that. There are some people who can change, and there are some people who want to change, but they can't because of the uh, environment they're in. It's a, it's a tough question. It's a tough question. So right now what I'm doing is I have some empathy toward those people who say immigrants, foreigners. I'll just say they're ignorant. Not from the point that they're not educated, is from the point that they, they don't know. They don't know that they don't know. And there is a difference. If somebody, I don't know, and I'm open to know, but if I don't know that I, that I don't know, you cannot get to my brain. Because within myself, I'm already confused until I am able to unconfuse myself or God open my whatever, then I can open up to listen to you. But if I am within myself already gone, how am I going to be able to listen to you? There are some people are like that. How can you change them? You cannot. When it comes to Algeria, you've said before that Algeria has been historically considered a white country. I think it's fascinating for a few reasons because first, I think it shows how subjective race is. I mean, someone can be in white in one place and then that person can get up and move and go to another place and they not only aren't white, but they will be seen or treated differently, you know? I think you if you come in to America in the 70s, it wasn't during the civil rights era, but I think of the civil rights era and separate bathrooms or water fountains. So when I think of Algerians saying, okay, Algerians are white, I picture me and you trying to go to the bathroom or drink from the water fountain and we could say, oh, no, no, it's okay, but we're Algerian and, the, and Algerians are white. And whether that would be allowed, of course, that wouldn't have been allowed, you know. Um, Take one step back, Jeff. To me, in my opinion, I could be wrong. Okay, you had a beautiful hair and you had very, very uh, lease, chevalise, what do you call that? Straight hair. You had straight hair. And uh, so when people saw you, they used to think you were Mexican. Mm -hmm. or some Indian. So you did not fit the white picture because although you had hair straight, whatever, you still looked different than the typical, whatever they call that white. But in America, is there anything that, uh, the, that you're not totally white, you're not white. That's what it is. But whether they like it or not, whether people like it or not, give me 50 years, 100 years from now, that there will be more shades that they're gonna start accepting it. So the US Census, is, we're going to add another category for MENA, for Middle Eastern and Northern Africans, but they didn't mm. in this past census. They're, they're gonna to work towards that. But it reminded me how, I don't know, that there is... What are you thinking? Uh, as far as not just Algeria, from the uh, scholars or geographical or political, I don't know what you used that word the other day. It's not just Algeria, Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco and Egypt are not considered the black countries. Why? I have no idea. So it's kind of along those lines. When I think of um, my friends in South Africa, even my white friends, yeah. they would say with pride that they consider themselves Africans. To me, like even I'm wearing this shirt, proudly African, because to yeah. me, to be Algerian is clearly African. Yeah. Um, what would you say? Or there is still a different... I don't know if stigma is the word, but even some Africans think that African means something different or Af the term African refers to black people? All right. If you are in Europe and you say you're African, you're from the continent of Africa, 
In here, if you say you're African, the first thing that people think you're black. Another one is uh, uh, when I was teaching, I, I still have a map. It's a beautiful map. It's huge. It's around uh, maybe five by three. It has African uh, uh, capitals. So the first thing before I show it, I tell my students, imagine, close your eyes, imagine Africa. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. After 30 seconds, open up. They open eyes. Tell me. They say uh, jungle, giraffe, lion. And then when I show them the, the poster, they say, really, that's Africa? And they see this engineering, structures, building, beautiful beaches. That's really? So it depends if somebody's been exposed and uh, when they're not read, listen, it's a lot. When I think of even our country or our government, most people say that it was founded on Christian values. You know, even when we think of the Declaration of Independence here in the United States, and I think of this idea that there are churches everywhere. I've even heard Delela, your wife, who is Algerian, say when she first came here to America, one of the things that stuck out to her was literally just how many churches there were. They were everywhere, and she was surprised by that. And she's absolutely right. I mean, I've seen churches literally right across the street from another churches. And I'm not bringing this up to have a religious debate with you. I know, like you said, you grew up in a Muslim environment, but you had sisters or family that went to Catholic school. But I would be curious to hear what you think as someone who I don't think identifies as a Christian. What do you think of when you think of Christians? To me, it's embarrassing when I see Christians engaged in this anger, this hate, this divided society that we're talking about, because that is absolutely not what Christianity promotes. But I would be curious to you, what do you think of as an observer when you see Christians behaving like that? Uh, let me take one step back and say that when you take the, uh, the pie of uh, different religions, and I'm sure you know this, that uh, around the third of it is Christian, third uh, Islam, and uh, close to a third Hindu. So we just take those three groups. I have friends in the, all three sects, whether it's Christians, Muslims, or Hindus. And uh, to me, it's not the religion that makes that person act whether right or wrong, because all the religions, they really teach you to be good to one another. Of course, none of them is perfect better than the other because you have the, uh, the Christian, uh, what do you call that Christian uh, invade when they went through Europe and killed so many people? Crusades. Crusades, thank you. The uh, Christian crusades. They also have the Islamic invaders when they invade uh, countries, including Algeria, to turn them to Muslims. And we went from Turk to Byzantine to Berbers to Arab uh, to whatever. Uh, the Hindu, they did the same thing, but in their region also, and they tried to uh, generate that belief because they really thought that's the right path to heaven, wh whatever you may call it. So to me, Jeff, when people say it's not Christian, Christian behavior, why people are acting like this? I say to same, there are some Muslims, and I say, that's not the Islamic behavior. That's not what I was taught by my grandpa, my uncle, my dad how to interpret the same version of that Quran. So some people may interpret it 
that uh, if you're not Muslim, you're going to hell, and that's the wrong way, and let me help you, let me push you, let, and they truly mean it. And some people, like uh, my dad, whether it's Islam or not, when we went to Notre Dame in, in Paris, so Dalila and I, myself, uh, and we are pulling my, my dad in a, in a wheelchair, right? We went to Notre Dame, he didn't want to get out. He told me he felt that peace, like angels are there. Just like he felt when he was at the mosque. So people didn't believe me until Mr. Arnold told me, I went to the monastery not far, not far from here, the monastery, and when you are two miles away, whether it's uh, psychologically speaking with some, you see, you start to feel peace. It's like the aura or something. And I got to the monastery, sit by the river there. It's so peaceful, it's amazing. So that's very hard to explain uh, the, uh, how we feel and how we interpret our feelings and emotions. So to me, uh, nobody's 100% sure what religion is correct or wrong. But God, I think in my mind, he uh, communicates to different people in different regions uh, through whether it's Messiah or Muhammad or whatever to educate us, to make us aware that we are powerless, regardless what we think. We are powerless when you see the infinity, the billions of stars out there, and every star has billions, billions of planets inside, and how they rotate to each other, synchronization. Uh, you see the bloodstream in the human body. You see our brain capacity. You, you go beyond, uh, beyond, beyond, beyond that religion belief. It's, it's a tough one. It's a tough question, what you ask. It's tough, yeah. yeah. I don't know if I answered, but I went around and around. That's what you do. You go around and around. Uh, good, good. So uh, what's the definition of a politician? Shoki. No. Uh, that's, ah. close. that's good. That's good. Uh, the politician, the definition of politician, the technocrat, is they start talking and talking and talking, and at the end they forgot about what they were talking about at the beginning. I hope it's not Shoki. me. That's what I said. Oh, that's horrible. No, no, Jeff, no. I remember you told me about Christian beliefs. What do you think? I remember that. Okay, two more questions for you, and we'll bring it back to Algeria, and then we'll wrap it up. You're a legal citizen of two countries, Algeria, and you're a naturalized citizen of the yes. United States. Do you feel more loyalty to one country or the other? For me, I'll hear people say things like they expect me to have an allegiance to this country, to America, but then it's frustrating or it's discouraging when for my whole life, I've had some of those very same people say to me, where are you from? As though I'm not from here. And they expect me to have the allegiance <laughs> to this country. And then I can't help but wonder if they would also expect me to have that for Algeria. But that's just me. I want to know about you. Do you think there's something significant about where you were born, even though you've lived here, like you said, for almost 45 years? Or what do you think? Well, before I answer that question, when I go to the center to work out, there is this gentleman, he's from India. He has a company that he has like a hundred engineers in India work there. He has a headquarters here, computers. Uh, his wife is a doctor here and so on. But I was talking with him yesterday. I did not know this. I said, so you are a American Indian uh, nationality? He said, no, because India does not allow us to to have another second nationality because if a war happened or something, who are you going to be loyal to India there? So right now, all Indians who are here, they have a special something, visa or something. So coming back to me, tell you the truth, if I didn't have to, 
I wouldn't have to change my nationality. Changing nationality helped me in other things, whether it's work or opportunities or uh, things to other doors, you follow me? And uh, so the opportunity made me or helped me go to that decision from the green card to be a citizen so I can have the same, what do you call that, right as my next door neighbor. If I had the same right as my next door neighbor without changing nationality, I wouldn't have to go through that. You see, as far as being loyal, of course, my country, Algeria is Algeria, no matter what I do, it's in my heart, whether I like it or not, whether I like what they do or think, Algeria is my country. And uh, if I go to Algeria and people start putting down America, I'm going to defend America. Why? Because there are so many misinterpretation from those guys back there who never been here and they think they have an idea about everything so when you try to correct them some of them listen to learn and some of them they think hey we know better we see it in tv whatever so i defend america also if i'm there i defend the uh what's right in my thinking what i think is right so nationality i will not say i am more loyal to algeria or to uh, to america I cannot say that if I'm loyal to that, but, but Algeria is my country and I'll, that's where I was born and raised and so on. One last question and then, and then that'll be that. What's one thing you want people to know? Maybe it's something about Algerian people in general, something personal to you, I don't know, but what's one thing you want people to know about Algeria that you haven't already said? I think uh, maybe a few things, not just one. One is misinterpretation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One is the uh, misconceptions that we have sometimes and assume about people being a foreigner or immigrant, whether it's Algeria or not, that we are all human beings. And that uh, uh, Algeria, one thing we have is probably more uh, respect to the elderly than we have here. Whether it's right or wrong, it's there. Uh, another one is um, the spirituality spirituality it's really not okay how close are you to god the closer to god is by being good to yourself to others try to do the best you can to others and with others that you would expect them to do to you of course it's a theory not practical and it's hard to do from the theory to practical but that's really the sense of it so I feel that at home we have that more, that closeness to God, that, that belief. I don't want to go to the extreme, of course. They will find some extremists. I don't like that, whether Muslim or Christian, whatever. You're going to find them there. And I don't even want to talk with them. Even Muslims, I don't want to talk with them because you don't, know, you don't go nowhere. Not you don't go nowhere. You don't go anywhere. I know. I talked around and around. I did not answer your specific question, what you want to hear. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Yeah. What are you going to say? No, that's it. I was just say thank you so much for the opportunity. And please, 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 when you uh, fix this, let me listen to it first before you post it. Because to you, you enjoy it. I enjoy it. It does not mean that everybody enjoys it. So my dad always, I'm going to leave that with you. My dad always, always say, don't you ever forget that you represent me and you represent the Tibet.
and that's very, very important. Whatever goes that word to bat has to be valuable with it. That's what his dad said. That's what he told me, and that's what I'm telling him. I love you. Well, that was my conversation with my dad. I never expected him, honestly, to share some of what he did, and I had no idea about some of these stories or that he's felt some of these things. What about you? What did you think? Did listening make you consider your own ideas on immigration or otherness? Or did it make you want to ask your own parents or family questions about their stories? Post a comment or send a message to at choose to be aware on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or you can leave a comment on the blog at chooseawareness.org, or you can email me at awarenessisachoice at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can always subscribe to receive an email whenever new blogs or podcasts are available. You can do that by going to chooseawareness.org forward slash subscribe. Well, that's it for this episode. Until next time, I hope you'll continue joining me in making the conscious decision to choose to be aware.